0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Shatter and Breathe Podcast, Episode 6. I am Sean and I wholeheartedly want to thank you for being here. First of all, I hope everyone was able to have an absolutely blessed Christmas and New Year. Today we're talking about insecurities, as well as talking about health, and specifically men's health. I assure you though, this is not a men's only type of episode. It's just one of my biggest insecurities relates to it and was a direct cause of an issue that I feel was important to talk about for any men listening or honestly any women who have a dad, brother, husband, boyfriend or anybody else they care about who could use this information. I don't know exactly where the men's health focus will be within the episode but I plan on sprinkling it throughout so I hope you're here for the entire journey. Also before we dive in just to mention that if you haven't already, check out the Linktree and follow the socials to stay up to date with everything. The Facebook page is the best place for all the most up to date postings. You can you can also check out the Shatter and Breathe shop where you can find designs made by me on many different items of clothing. So please feel free to check that out and see if anything grabs your interest. You can again find all that at the Linktree. L-I-N-K-T-R dot e slash Shatter and Breathe. No spaces of course. Also, also... Let's address the patched-up elephant in the room. It, it, part, it goes with part of the topic, too, because it was a health matter. It's been way too long since the last episode. I really hate that there was such a gap, but as I've said in the updates that I gave, as well as implying in other episodes... We need to really listen to our bodies and take care of ourselves. I launched this October 1st, 2021. October 5th, I ended up getting an abscess tooth, which I went on antibiotics for a week to take care of it. During that week period, I started feeling really weak and sick to my stomach. I was under stress from different factors, not related to health, and sometimes that particular stress can affect my moods and even my stomach, so. I figured you know antibiotics which were stronger than I'm used to and the other things that I had going on was stressing me out and I was just getting hit with all of it at once once I finished up my antibiotics um, I was like I was hopeful that I would start feeling better and I wasn't not only was I not feeling better but I was feeling worse I was hit with fatigue lightheadedness throat irritation sinus problems No coughing, except when my throat would get irritated. Breathing was fine, senses were fine, but obviously these were, you know, these days we assume the possibility of it being C-19. I wasn't going to get tested at that point, but just in case, I started taking precautions. I wouldn't touch anything that somebody else would, if I did, I'd sanitize it down. I wouldn't even breathe around people. Closed mouth breathing and breathing away from anybody I was around just had a precaution. Eventually, the fatigue and the mental space just got too much. It just got to be too much. After a few weeks, towards the end of October, I got tested and it came back positive. Now, I honestly don't know when or exactly how I contracted it or if I was even still contagious by the time I took a test. I know sometimes people can test positive even after they're no longer contagious. So I don't 100% know who I got it from. What I do know is this was something different. This I've never experienced something like this before. The brain fog and how it affected my head alone was astronomically difficult. I am so blessed though. I am honestly so blessed that it didn't affect my lungs with last year the lung surgery and going through the radiation in that area if it would have gotten my lungs if it would have gotten to my lungs I truly don't know how things would have turned out but it would have been a whole lot worse than it was so I've thanked God every day for the last few months for protecting my lungs because that was truly a miracle the fatigue though the body aches the the pressure in my head was so rough, my mind took the biggest beating. For safety, for the safety of my family, my friends, and honestly anybody I interact with, I've tried so hard since it all started to be careful and be aware of surroundings, and I still allowed my guard to be down enough to get it somehow. It, it put me in the headspace where I just didn't feel like myself. It put me in a sense of worry that was constantly there. It placed discomfort in places that would scare me into the fear of something else being wrong. It was causing me to turn every molehill into a mountain and drove me so crazy every day. Thankfully, I'm pretty much back to normal. Or at least my normal before I contracted it. I still am dealing with random body aches. Muscle aches are rough. My sinuses have never really stopped completely, but they're nowhere near as bad my head's still a bit iffy the pressure though is gone but sometimes I think I feel phantom pressure because I don't think it's really there I just had it for what felt like so long sometimes it feels like it's there but it's not things like that though but for the most part I'm doing a lot better and I've seen my oncologist my radiologist and my PCP since all that happened and I'm very healthy my eyes eyes were affected a bit My vision is still a bit strained. Strained is about the best way I can describe it. My eyes started to feel weak and started getting irritated easier. Now, I do believe part of my eye issue was from how I started writing these out. Everything I do, as long as I can help it, I do in dark mode. I've done that for years because it's just easier. It's easier on my eyes. I wear glasses, I have an astigmatism, and it's just better for me. I started using Google Docs to write these episodes, and it has no dark mode for PC. So I'm writing these out, staring at this insanely bright screen for way too long, and I think that contributed to why my eyes were so affected, and still are. It honestly felt like catching C19 almost made every um, already existing problem worse, if that makes sense. I now have Google Docs on a dimmer, so I can write now without my eyes feeling attacked. My mental is also still not great, but it is really improving. I, I decided to. I decided to actually, for the first time in over 12 years, go and see somebody to talk to, instead of trying to home remedy myself. Though I am slowly getting back to where I feel I should be, I know I'm not there yet. And if somebody can help me get better, then I'm more than open to see at least, you know. I stopped going to therapy because the people I was getting once Dr. Conti left weren't helping me, and I was being asked every time if I was open to medication. I made it clear every time that I don't need medication. I just need somebody to talk to who will listen and be able to explain to me what may be causing my problems. Now, I really want to make this clear i've said it many times and i'll say it again i have a wonderful support system i have people who if i need to talk or vent that they will listen to me i have shoulders to lean on i have ears to speak to and i do reach out sometimes i don't do it a lot but i have a lot more in recent years than i used to opening up more and not holding so much in has been something i've actively been working on doing better in that time so I will vent more. What I feel I really need though is somebody completely outside of my box to analyze what's happening inside my head at least as best they can and shine a light on what I may be missing or what I may not be acknowledging. It's definitely something though that the last thing I thought I would need if I ever caught C19 was to go back to therapy I haven't seen a whole lot of people talk about that being an issue for him but here I am honestly though I've considered going back for a couple years honestly since 2019 especially so I'm happy to be seeing somebody again and we've met met once already and she really seems like somebody who can do me a lot of good She's very down-to-earth. I get good vibes from her and when she talks to me she's talking to me and she's listening. So I am actually looking forward to this experience and I feel it will do a lot of good. There's no shame in therapy or finding help. You're worth it and if you feel like it's too much on your own then please find somebody if it's possible. If it's not possible for finances or insurance issues then reach out to a friend, reach out to a program, or if you really feel there's nobody there, shoot me a message on the Facebook page or through the email in the about section of the Facebook page and we can talk it out. Just please take care of you. Take yourself into consideration please. I like being the person that others go to when they need somebody. I like being the beacon for the lost ships but the lighthouse can't help anybody if it's not properly maintained. So I do, I do genuinely ask you to all ask all of you to take the time to check on yourself. So to get into the meat of this episode, insecurities. We all have them. We all suffer from we all suffer from them and we desperately want to get rid of them don't even get me started on mine well, I suppose that would be hard to avoid considering I'm about to be talking about some of them seriously though it's something that almost every single person if not every person can relate to which makes it funny when you think about it where We're all insecure about something that makes us feel others will judge us for it, or make fun of us for it. The same people who have insecurities about themselves. Why is that? How are we so scared of others with a sword, while we ourselves have a sword of our own? If only it was easy as a simple answer. In order to see what's in the box, we have to unpack it. A big part of the Cancer and the Aftermath series leaned into the understanding that the things we go through will mold us. We learn from mistakes. We sharpen our skills but we also pick up these fears of how we're seen or what we're able to do or what we're not able to do. It starts early and oftentimes innocently. What do most little boys want to do? They want to grow up big and strong like their dad or whoever their father figure is. You're introduced to goals and milestones out of pure adoration and example. There's nothing wrong with it either. Little girls oftentimes want to grow up and follow in the footsteps of their mom or their mother figure. How she presents herself, her strength, her compassion, and empathy. Again, out of adoration and example, they see these bigger versions of themselves, and in a sense, they want to be like them as they grow up. This, of course, can be vice versa as well the little boy who soaks in the mother's traits as well as the little girl who follows after her father. There is no set pattern, there is only example and perception. As we get older, as we grow up, and our world starts getting bigger, we start getting new influences and new visuals. We start making friends, our friends have parents, grandparents, siblings who we want to get to know. we have classmates, teachers, what once was what was once if I eat my vegetables and drink my milk I can be big and strong like my parent becomes I have to get these grades I have to speak in front of a room full of other kids and I have to do my homework if I want to please my parent my teacher etc. The goals start expanding and evolving. What seems so simple starts getting a little more complicated and as A and B have now become part of this bracket system of doing W, X, and Y to hopefully attain Z. The mind of a child is powerful. More powerful than some realize. But like adults, some, sometimes that fact goes both ways. As we go through life, we start hearing about others and how their family is, how they were raised, how their Christmas went, and what they had under the tree you add social media to the equation you've turned the slow burn into a wildfire through this process the goals slowly turn into expectations and when your intake is rapidly increased you start feeling the pressure you start asking questions like like, you start connecting the dots of another person's sheet and are getting confused why the dots on yours are so different I feel like I feel like children who unfortunately come from a broken home start this process even earlier It's so heartbreaking too because they start off life with more questions than anything all they know is questions the point I'm making though is through this journey we start seeing differences we start finding comparisons we start noticing reactions to certain things the way somebody looks the way somebody talks the way they dress and the way they conduct themselves We start noticing these things, and we start noticing how others react to these things. Now, we all know kids can be awful. I'm just gonna say it. (laughs) I love kids, but they can be awful. In all fairness, though, adults can be awful, too, obviously, so I'm not just picking on kids here, but you know what I'm getting at. They can be brutally honest, they have no filter, and they will just let loose on you. I'm not just talking about adults, either. I think most of us got flashbacks just now of the time a little turd struck a nerve, but They will, of course, be harsh towards other kids as well. Now, yes, there are kids who are genuinely well-behaved and considerate. Not all kids are bad-mannered. There's an understandable ratio there. But it does happen where kids will be very mean and cruel. Again, much like adults. Hell, some adults are mean and cruel to kids, which honestly are oftentimes those responsible for the kids who are acting out the way they do too. Kids aren't programmed at birth, they learn by example, be it the examples we set or the examples we allow them to see, either voluntarily or recklessly. As we get older, as we go through things, we start to find our insecurities. My earliest insecurity was my speech impediment. I touched on this a few episodes back, I couldn't, I couldn't say or use the letter R correctly. I did speech therapy in school from preschool all the way to sixth grade. It got corrected around 4th or 5th, if I remember right. My sister, I love her dearly. We'd get into arguments, and whenever she wanted to just end it, she'd tell me to say Army. And I, for some reason, would try, and then I'd get upset just be, and just be done with the situation. At the time, not so much, but looking back, that was some legendary offense. 2022 me respects that level of savagery. She didn't say it just to say it, we were arguing, so I was probably saying some nonsense too, so I most likely deserved it. That speech issue was one of my earliest cases of insecurity, though. Although, now looking back, another early one was this neighborhood kid. Well, he didn't live in the neighborhood, but his mother did. I think they were separated, I can't remember for sure, but I know he wasn't there all the time. He was a he was a real little bastard. I'm not sure why, though <laughs> I'm not sure why though, as his mother was sweet. She'd let Ronnie and me play with his Legos sometimes. I'll be honest with you, I have no idea why we were playing with his Legos while he wasn't even there, but my memory apparently didn't retain these circumstances. There was one time though when he came home and saw us playing with his Legos outside and he picked them all up and took them inside and made it very clear that we weren't allowed to touch his Legos. Pretty sure he got yelled at for the attitude, but Ronnie and I just left and thanked his mom for letting us play with him. He really wasn't in our circle, as I said, he wasn't always there, but we did play with him and hang out when he was home, but after that, I don't think we interacted with him too much at all. I sort of remember feeling a sort of way with that, though. Like, you dare tell me I'm not good enough to play with your Legos? Why? What's wrong with me? what's wrong with us you know that sort of thing looking at his side of it though if I were to come home and see another kid playing with my stuff I mean honestly let's let's be real here that would be confusing so hindsight you know how that goes then of course as I talked about in episode 4 My hair started falling out from the chemo, and that was my first hard dose of anxiety and insecurities. I felt so uncomfortable in public, especially after the hat incident. I was a heavier kid, but that never really bothered me early on. I wasn't huge, but I was chubby. When I got sick, I dropped down to about 80 pounds. I don't remember what my lowest weight was, but I got really thin. Eventually I started gaining my weight back, though, and then, in time, I started getting self-conscious about that. I've had glasses for most of my life. I've had glasses for most of my life, too, so that was another insecurity I had. So the typical physical insecurities were big for me. Pun intended. Through the teenage years, our insecurities thrive we don't like about ourselves is evolved through how we feel others feel about us. That's how the physical forms into the mental and expands. As teens, our interests for some are things like wanting to be popular. A lot of us became more sexually interested. It doesn't even have to be in, intentional, but sometimes you'd see somebody you were attracted to, somebody you're interested in, and you'll see them with somebody and you'll start just wondering what is it about them that they like. They're making my crush laugh. Should I be funnier? Am I not funny? They're skinny. Am I too fat? If I lose weight will they be interested? They have a nice face. Do I look like a potato? You know? Nobody in this scenario has done a single thing maliciously or wrong and still organically we we start forming these insecurities about ourselves and that can turn into this unwarranted issue with those we feel aesthetically or characteristically superior to us by way of our own raw, uncontrollable thought process. I believe our insecurities are the perfect storm of wanting to be better versions of ourselves or at least what we think would be better versions mixed with witnessing what others are attracted to. Not only somebody's looks either, We can feel insecure about our looks, yeah, but We can feel insecure about our clothes We can feel insecure about our income, our home, our car A byproduct of all that, we can be insecure about our accomplishments in life A big thing you see right now is people feeling like If they haven't done X, Y, and Z by age whatever That they've failed in life I get it, I'm 30 years old And I beat myself up over a lot of things So I can relate to that very well. Social media was the big boom period of comparison. That was where insecurities swelled up into households on a wider scale. We had MTV Cribs and even Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous on TV way before that in the 80s, but... Social media is where we start seeing those we know in their lives. All of a sudden it becomes this unintentional game of they have that, why don't I? On the flip side of the coin and gave room for I have this why don't they slowly it starts to form this web of wonder those who take material things and or attention too seriously both by those who have feeling as if they're above or superior as well as those who have less and feeling so unaccomplished or unattractive that they feel it's true they protect their feelings they have towards themselves They project their feelings they have towards themselves onto those they envy, which can breed this falsified tension between two people who neither have done the other wrong. This is one of many examples of how powerful the mind really is. It's why mental health is something that's so important, because it doesn't take conscious action to affect how we form subconsciously as a person. Part of mental health is doing our best to work through those insecurities and what holds us back from moving forward, past the limits we set ourselves. One important thing I hope you can take away from this episode is to remember this. You are worth it. Your life matters. You're here for a reason, and whatever that reason is, your existence is purposeful. And I want you to believe that as much as I do. I want you to believe that more than I do. One question that always intrigues me is summed up with one word. Why? Why is one of the most powerful questions you can ask and is a question you should always be comfortable asking. In this instance, I want you to ask yourself, why am I so hard on myself? I want you to do that and truly think about how you'd answer that. What you would say to yourself after it's asked. A lot of time I'll post something on Facebook, an inspirational statement or advice, and so often it's something I'm writing for myself. I will find myself in a mood or a state, and because I'm aware of myself and usually will notice when I'm going into a state of somberness or uncertainty, I can try and think outside my own box. I will try and give myself some unbiased advice or words of encouragement to help speak into existence what I already may realize to combat the clouds in my mind trying to hide that very realization from myself. I've realized a lot, but specifically two very important things on a path of self-understanding. Nobody knows at all, and we also know more than we realize. When you approach riding a bike, you learn how to ride it first. Experience is a valuable teacher. So when you ride a bike you're not only learning how to ride it but you're also subconsciously realizing and adapting how to ride it safely we rarely ever think while we're learning how to keep our balance what we are to do if we run over a rough surface or have to come to a complete stop and the brakes won't slow us down in time everything we do in the process of learning it comes with a natural precautionary development You can think of it with a person who is driving their vehicle and hits their brakes and without hesitation or thought throws their arm in front of the passenger to make sure they're not thrown against the dash or the window. When a firefighter runs into a home, they don't know the layout. They aren't aware of where the flames are coming from before going in precisely. When we learn how to walk, we fall we're not learning how to fall, we're learning how to walk, but while doing so we're subjecting ourselves to instinctual responses to counter the potential setbacks that may come from our attempts. With that in mind, why shouldn't we apply the same understanding towards our mental health or our insecurities? When we're feeling like we're not looking good today we stare at ourselves in the mirror and just get upset or frustrated at ourselves and beat ourselves down. We're facing cruelty and judgment before we even leave our homes. How can we combat that? We can take a few moments before we leave to express some things we do like about ourselves. We can think of things that we'd like to hear from somebody else that will boost our confidence. We could say those things out loud and hearing it out loud could trigger some positive responses inside us. The term hyping yourself up is there for a reason and it's something that's not only healthy but a valuable ally in our fight towards cerebral civility. We can exercise our self-esteem like we exercise our bodies. We can find better camaraderie with ourselves by doing so as well as help provide a shield from outside sources of shallowness and rude behavior. One thing that nasty mannered The one thing a nasty-mannered person hates the most is confidence because for somebody to be that disrespectful, they aren't too happy with themselves. Not really. It It goes way beyond just physical as well. Finances, living situation, transportation, your mental health itself. I have anxiety about my anxiety, which gives me more anxiety. What an absolute circle jerk of worry. I've missed out on parties, concerts, jobs, schools, functions, while I was a student. I refused to go to my graduation since I was homebound. I didn't feel I deserved to go. I put in the work, but because I felt I failed to actively go to school, I felt I hadn't earned the graduation ceremony. If I would have gone, I'd still have been anxious, but there's a difference between being stuck at school and having the option to leave whenever I want, which is what I honestly think. It's what I honestly feel was one of my biggest issues of school. Even to this day, I hate being stuck somewhere. Of course, knowing what I know now, that sense of not deserving my ceremony was completely false. I want to say this for anybody listening who needs to hear it. You don't deserve less because you feel you should have done more. If doing more in that instance was outside of your ability. A part of anxiety is fighting with hypotheticals. You're facing situations before they even have the chance to happen. You're getting ganged up on by what ifs and maybes and it's taking away so much of your mental energy that it becomes hard to deal with the reality where that doesn't even exist. It's like you're getting full off the menu before you even allowed yourself to eat anything. That's what we're doing when we allow our insecurities and our anxieties to keep us from doing things. You could think with that analogy that it's not a bad thing if you get full off the menu and don't eat, you're saving money. Relating that to if you don't go out or do this or that, you won't be able to feel like you're being looked at a certain way. In reality, though, you have to eat or else you won't survive. You have to break from the chains or else you'll be stuck exactly where you are feeling the exact same way. I'm not saying nobody's going to give you looks or make a nasty comment towards you. I'm saying... I'm not saying nobody is going to judge you Or that nobody is going to hurt you What I'm saying is You're only hurting yourself by denying your What I'm saying is You're only hurting yourself by denying yourself The most beautiful parts of being alive To live your life for you And not put your life on hold for them Whoever they are I get it though I absolutely get it Because like I said I deal with a lot of insecurities myself one of which I was able to finally overcome last year. This is where the men's health portion really comes in, so for any men listening, I really want you to take this in. I don't know exactly when I started noticing it as a problem, but as far back as as my early teens, I started noticing my right testicle was bigger than my left. Which in itself isn't uncommon. Like women and their breasts, one is always bigger than the other, even if it's just slightly. My testicle was bigger than I thought it should be, though. Being such an awkward thing to talk about, I didn't really mention it to anybody. I thought perhaps it was just one of those oddities. Over the years, though, it would start getting bigger. Not drastically, It, it wouldn't double overnight or anything like that. But over time it was getting bigger And I always just assumed And was hoping that it wasn't anything serious Now writing it out and saying it out loud You're probably thinking That sounds like an obvious problem Why wouldn't I have told somebody? I would be wondering that too But honestly It was a combination of things I started giving myself explanations Of what was going on I thought maybe the tumor having been on that same side that somewhere along the f- that somewhere along the line fluid got trapped there somehow. Perhaps something else was going on that trapped fluid there. That was me trying to hope it away. I was terrified of it being something more serious and the longer it went on, the more I tried convincing myself it wasn't anything serious. The idea being if it was something serious, like testicular cancer, there would be more symptoms. Up until about 24 years old, I was getting blood tests every year or every other year, and so I figured if something was going on, I'd have heard about it. I was just scared, and it seemed it seemed to have been a case of fight or flight, and how I dealt with it, and, and I was trying to get away from it hoping it would just stop getting bigger and just deal with it the rate was growing was never noticeable in terms of seeing it as it happened but every year if I were to take a before and after photo it would have been more than noticeable if I were to estimate from about 14 years old till 29 it had basically gone from a big jawbreaker to the size of one and a half softballs maybe even bigger It had gotten to the point where I was constantly uncomfortable physically, but the worst part I dealt with was mentally. For at least 15 years, over half of my life at the time, I was constantly self-conscious because of how noticeable it got. Even when it was still manageable to hide, I was still worried about it being noticed. The second half of it was the worst because it had gotten to the point where there really wasn't any hiding it it was bulging too much and there wasn't anything I could really do but I did still try. I would always I would try standing certain ways, standing with my front away or at an angle from whoever was around me. I'd wear lightweight zip-up hoodies so I could have them in the warmer months without getting overheated and use them to put my hands in my pockets to push it down to cover it. I'd never wear sweatpants on I'd never wear sweatpants out in public because it would be even more obvious. Even at home, I would sit a certain way. I'd walk quickly to sit down faster. I knew people noticed, but most wouldn't say anything. The only people who would generally say anything were my friends who basically turned it into a running joke where I had this monster dick and that's why the bulge was so big. And I, So I leaned into that to avoid talking about it it's much better to have people making a big dick joke than it is opening up about something that really made me self-conscious I didn't really tell anybody what was going on my folks didn't even know how bad it was for me until last year when it became addressed my doctor down in children's did check it out before I aged out and recommended I go see a urologist to have it looked at I saw the one they have down there who examined me and did tell me he believed it to be a hydrocele but he suggested getting testing done to which I said I'd call down to make an appointment but I never did a month or so later I aged out and let it go the only people who knew about my dealing with this besides me and them were the women I had become sexually involved with now let me tell you that contrary to my anxieties and my self-consciousness not a single woman I was with had ever made me feel negative type of way about it. Looking back, honestly, when I was naked and was seen, all that urge to hide went away because it was out there. I mean, it was literally out there, but I wasn't hiding anything anymore at that moment. They would be more intrigued with it, to be honest. My one friend, when she saw it, her mouth dropped open and dead ass said, holy shit, your balls are huge. She started laughing because of the shock, and so I started laughing because thankfully I've been blessed with an amazing sense of humor to help me through things like that and not take too much personal. She wasn't even laughing at anything negatively, but she just genuinely did not expect that, so it was just like, wow. That was the usual way things would develop it would be shocking but more interesting to them than anything And my friend I just mentioned actually discovered along with some others that huge balls were apparently a turn on so hey the more you know right I had a conversation with her actually around the time before my surgery last year and she says so no more huge nuts and I said no no more I'm ready for some normal ones Another great friend of mine said, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to miss the big sack. And I told her, that makes one of us, and we both laughed about it. Besides those moments though, for 15 years I struggled, and for more than 7 of those years it was honestly a constant hell for my anxiety. I was anxious just standing in public, even in private most of the time with others around me because I just knew how obvious it was and I hated it. I was part of a Bible study group, and the way it worked was we'd meet up at the church, we'd play basketball or some sort of sport, and we'd do a food run, do the lesson, and then play something again before we left. Well I'd 80% of the time not play a game because most of the time when I play, because I'm a heavier dude, my boxer brief waistband would work down and go under my stomach which would give me less support when that would happen it would be both a lot more noticeable and also be very uncomfortable physically as well it was so big so it was also very heavy and would just pull and hurt if not supported I couldn't just adjust myself so I had to pretend I had to use the bathroom I did this trick at work too, so I could go and fix myself up and have the proper support I needed. So I missed out on a lot of games that honestly I would have liked to play more of, but thankfully my friend Kels just wasn't about the sports anyway, so she'd be on the bench with me, so I never minded that. I'd look at photos of me taken and notice some bulge, and it instantly hate the photo. i deleted photos before because of it photos I'll never be able to get back I've worked security off and on throughout my teen and adult life towards the end that would stress me out because I I do tuck shirts with cargos presentation is everything to me I don't like looking or feeling sloppy so I'd have the tucked uniform shirt in my pants my duty belt so because I felt so anxious and self-conscious about my bulge I started wearing a bulky tact vest my reasoning was besides it being useful, it would help bulk me up and take focus off my lower half. The way I addressed 24 7, public or private, was based around me hiding it the best I could. Last year, I went and. When I went to the ER and they told me about the two masses and I said in episode 5 how I knew about that one already. That's what I mean. The reason why it became so scary is because as real as it was for me, mentally and physically, it now became real medically. And I was about to find out what I've put off for half my life. I don't know. I didn't know it was a hydrosil. I didn't know what it was. For sure. Of course I was scared It it could have been a tumor. I talked myself into the belief many times that if it was cancerous, I'd have been having issues a long time ago, but you never know. It's possible for a tumor to be benign for years and end up becoming cancerous. Weirder things have happened in this world, so you never know. One of. One of my favorite episodes of South Park is the episode where Randy is so desperate to get medical. Uh, medicinal marijuana that he gives himself testicular cancer in order to get it he was he's walking around with his balls so big he needs a, he needs to haul them in a wheelbarrow I laugh my ass off every time I watch that man singing Buffalo Soldier I absolutely do that is like I said that is one of my favorite episodes But. I'd be lying, though, if I told you I didn't get a pitfall in my stomach every time the laughing stopped. So when they told me about the two masses, not only do I have this new mass under my lung, but I'm finally forced to deal with what's going on with my testicle. It gets diagnosed as a hydrocele, which for those who don't know or perhaps haven't watched previous episodes where I explained it some, is basically trapped fluid around one or both testicles so the next step is finding a urologist thankfully my wonderful friend Nikki who's pretty much my non-biological sister actually works at a urologist's office so she gets me hooked up with them and she sets me up with a PA there Kate now Kate is amazing she's made it her mission to make sure I'm a thousand percent alright in that department because she knows my medical history and so she crosses every T and dots every I to make sure no surprises happen. I met the doctor there. Very nice guy. Very skilled at what he does. And I got scheduled for my my surgery in July. Again, this is 2020. To run you through this, I get to the building early morning. I'm his first patient of the day. I get all readied up, strip, and put the gown on. I have to shave as I sort of expected. I get into the room where they have you while you wait for everything to be set up and ready. I talk to the anesthesiologist and he goes over what's expected, the risks and how it's going to make sure everything goes absolutely to plan so I can relax. So it comes time to be sent into the OR. By the way, all all the people there are so incredible and sweet. And I truly appreciate how helpful and relaxing they were with me. That sort of thing makes such a difference. So I'm I'm wheeled in and they're getting me set up with everything and placed, and all that. They're talking to me asking how I am and asking me what I'm there for to make sure I'm aware of everything. They put the mask on me and as always tell me to take a deep breath. They put the mask on me and as always tell me to take a deep breath in so I do and I just start relaxing I talked in the last episode about my experience and feelings towards going under I spent so much time leading up to my procedures praying and talking with God being with my family and talking to friends, so by the time I go in, I can have this sense of peace with it. Now, I don't go into it thinking the worst, but I do go in understanding that I may not wake up. So when I'm laying there, the room is bright, surrounded by people reassuring you and talking to you, and your body is just slowly becoming more and more relaxed, and your eyes are getting heavier. The voices start getting distant, the room starts getting dimmer, and you finally just drift off to sleep. The surgery goes perfect. They start wheeling me back out, and before I even get to where my bed's going, I start waking up. I'm so groggy. I'm out of it. But they're asking me if I'm okay, how I'm feeling, how how the surgery went great, and I'm trying to talk to them. The first thing I try to tell them The first thing I tried to say to them was a question. I couldn't get it out clearly so I tried again and I asked them, do I still have two? And I hold up two fingers. They laughed and I felt one of them touch my hand. They said, yes, don't worry, they're both still there. Another one of my worries was losing my right testicle because I didn't know if it was damaged or. What, but thankfully, it was perfectly fine. I'm there for a while longer till everything's all good to go, and then I'm wheeled up in a chair outside and get in the car with my folks and we go home. the this post-surgery recovery was the worst was the worst I had ever experienced. Even now, after having lung surgery later that year, It was the worst recovery period ever. You don't realize what all that affects until it's affected. It hurt to sit, it hurt to lay down, it hurt to stand, it hurt to move. I couldn't sit with my legs together. I had to have something propping my scrotum up everywhere I sat. My mother, I thank God for her every single day, set up a system to help me go to the bathroom. She taped a sock to the sides of the toilet so I could prop my scrotum on it while I sat on the toilet. Because of the setup, I had to go in, had to go pee into a urinal, and if I had to do more than just urinate, it would hurt so bad because the slightest strain was torture. I was having to ice it every hour and had to change the dressing every day. I'm single, and I live at home. I couldn't have done this on my own. Honestly, it would have been impossible because the way the scar was, bandaging it wasn't possible for me. So the only person who could help me was my mom. I'll say it again. I am so thankful for that woman. She means more to me than she will ever know because it gets impossible for me to express it to her. By the time I hit this stage of my life, I was hoping I'd be able to spoil her and my dad. Give them an easier, less stressful life. Having my beautiful, wonderful mother changing the dressing on her 29 year old son's scrotum was not on my plans, but. Life doesn't play by our plans. So icing it every hour, changing the dressing every day, which including washing the area and making sure it's clean as possible to avoid infection. I was in pain for months. It took me about two months before I felt somewhat normal. Thankfully because two of my best friends got married that October and I didn't want to miss out on that, especially being the best man so that worked out perfectly the road to that recovery though was so hard but I'm telling you right now it was so worth it once I started feeling better good enough to where I could wear jeans again I put my blue jeans on I looked down at myself and I started crying for the first time in over 15 years I looked normal I went over closer to the mirror and looked at myself from the side and I was just overcome with emotion. I had nothing more to hide there now. I looked like I'm supposed to look. A healthy bulge. The type a man's supposed to have. What had controlled my life for so long that it is no longer there and I couldn't handle how happy I felt. It's been a year and a half It's been a year and a half since my surgery and I still can't really get over it sometimes I'll be at the store standing in an aisle and just enjoying the peace that I have without trying to hide that anymore I walk with more confidence and less fear I can embrace a part of my self-confidence that was locked away for so long that's one example of how much insecurities can can cripple us it consumed me every single day Do I have other insecurities? Of course. Too many. There is no universal fix to every situation, but one way to work towards the goal of feeling better about ourselves is to understand why we feel a certain way, and what can we do to work through it. I want to also make it a point to any man listening out there, as well as the women listening who have a husband, boyfriend, father, brother, son, please pay attention to your body when you're just sitting around doing nothing take a few seconds to feel around check yourself for oddities bumps tenderness size increase one of the PAs at my urologist's office told me that most seals don't require surgery because they're not big enough to cause to, to cause discomfort so it makes me wonder how many go unnoticed that being said why risking why risk letting something like that's that's potentially very serious go unchecked I know it's scary I know sometimes it's easier to just let it go tell yourself I'm sure it's nothing that's exactly what I did exactly what I did because because that's what I did I suffered for over 15 years for it and I finally got it taken care of with the size it got to it took me over two months before I could even walk without it hurting go to the bathroom normally wear a pair of jeans Please don't allow fear or worry. Stop you from taking care of yourself and checking on yourself. You owe it to yourself to stick around and do so without so much holding you down. Sometimes I wonder if it would have been easier if I had somebody to talk to about it. I I don't know anybody else who's went through that. Who's went through a hydroselectomy what I should have expected I had nobody to talk to because I feel it is something that not a lot of men like to talk about and I understand that so I'm really hoping that talking about this will encourage more men to be comfortable enough to open up and talk about it because one thing that can really help any man going through that is having somebody to help tell them what they might be able to expect and so I'm hoping from Ever since I let it be known about that to my friends, that if something were to happen, I, I pray to God it doesn't, but I'd hope they know that they can come to talk to me about it. To sort of cap this episode off, I want to share another story here that I've never told anybody outside of who was involved. It seems to be a pattern on the podcast, but I find that to be another reason why this is what I should be doing. It's something that I've held in for three, almost four years. i talked about my friend Taj before here. That was my brother. He still is my brother, and I miss him like crazy. In April of 2018, a few of us were supposed to hang out. Taj, his fiance, Des, and um, their friend Andini, me. I'm not sure who else, but it was for his birthday. Taj's. The plan was bar hopping, starting at the best sports bar around here, strip club, and then wherever the night takes us next. Now Taj didn't drink much. He was always the Desi whenever we'd be out. He loved seeing the ones he loved having fun, and so he never minded. So anyway, he messaged me the game plan, and at this time I'm in a low space. I was frustrated with work. I was low on money because hours were being cut all the time. And I was just burnt out a bit with a few things. Honestly, hanging out with them would have been so helpful to the space I was in, but because I was insecure with my financial situation, I decided not to go. Between Bud's, which is the sports bar, the strip club, and everywhere else, I wouldn't have had the money to not only just afford myself, but be able to buy Taj things like... And, you know, spoil him like I would have wanted to do for his birthday. So, because I felt insecure about myself, I didn't go out. To illustrate how much, how amazing of a person Taj was, he was willing to alter any of the plans to help me feel better about going. He was really trying his best to get me to come, but I allowed my insecurities to take me out of it. Um, on June 9th of that year, the same year less than two months later Taj passed away He, um, he was a year older than me he would have been 31 right now 32 this year he went to work one night and um, where he took care of people that were unable to take care of themselves he had an, a, med- a medical emergency happen with him through the night and he passed away I I thank God that he was able to come to a night of Bible study between his birthday and the day he passed away because we did get to spend a wonderful time together with friends. It hurts me and haunts me though that I let my insecurities stop me from being with one of the, one of my best friends, one of the greatest people on earth on his last birthday a day where all he wanted the only thing he wanted was to be around the people he loved, and knew loved him. He didn't need anything bought, he didn't need anything given to him, all he wanted was to have fun with the people he enjoyed. And, um, I let something as stupid as money And I let something stupid as money fuel my self-pity, and I, I couldn't even give him that. I know there was no possible way I could have known what would happen. It was, sorry. It was something that took everyone by surprise he he was he was asthmatic but you know and a bigger guy but he was strong as an ox and he was a hard worker. Never in a million years would I have thought there was a chance I wouldn't be able to make it up to him next year. That's what I told myself I'd make it up to him next year and I never got to I never will get to. Not till, not till I see him. <clears throat> not till I see him again somewhere else. I understand insecurities are there for a reason. I understand that there's nothing I can say that is going to instantly make you get over what you're insecure about. What I want you. What I want you to take away from this episode is that we beat ourselves up more than anybody else can. We set the bar for our threshold. If we feel bothered by our weight and somebody calls us fat, it hurts. If we feel underwhelmed by the goals we have achieved for ourselves and somebody pokes fun towards that element, it hurts. Keep that in mind. Keeping that in mind, though, it... If we take the time to understand our insecurities and process through them, we can work towards controlling how much they affect us. Insecurities are a byproduct of compromised confidence. The more you work towards understanding yourself, the more you will start to understand yourself when you begin to truly understand yourself your confidence will strengthen naturally because you're climbing that ladder of consciousness where you're above all those bad thoughts because you can finally see them for what they are I'm not there either I'm still climbing with you I'm not waving I'm not waving to you from the top I'm not waving to you from the top I'm holding my hand out to you so we can keep climbing together, and sometimes we need a little help. I've missed out on so much because of my insecurities. I'm sure you have too. I missed out on spending an evening with my brother on his birthday, and never will I be able to get that chance again. At least not here. We live in a time right now where sometimes we don't want to go to functions out of fear of what's happening. I want to make it clear, please be safe. If you're sick, stay home. If you're around somebody who's sick, be mindful. All that being said, remember to never stop making memories with the people you love because... Eventually... That's all you'll have left. That's all they'll have left. Be mindful, be safe, but be yourself and enjoy your life and the vibes of those you love around you. I want to thank all of you so very much for joining me here once again. Wherever you're listening right now, wherever you're listening right now, I'm on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, CastBox, Stitcher, and I even got the Google Podcast set up. It seems it takes a day for the episode to show up on there. So if that's where you normally listen to your podcast, if it's not there Friday mornings, then check out there on Saturday after it drops and hopefully it'll show up. As for the others I mentioned, Friday's on YouTube at 6 a.m. Eastern U.S. time. On podcasting platforms, you can listen anytime after midnight Thursday evening. Next week's episode, episode 7, will be Monopoly of Love and Intimacy, where we dive into romance and sexuality and its vast spectrum of territory. How love isn't the same for everyone, what's quote-unquote true love to you may be different to somebody else. We'll also talk about monogamous relationships and polyamorous relationships and try to clear the fog between the two ways of viewing and practicing the strings of our harps of love. We'll also get into sex between friends and... Does sex really ruin friendships? Well, let's talk about that next week. So I hope you're all back for that one. Remember once again, that through all your insecurities and self-doubts, you are an incredible person. Your life on this earth is as beautiful as you are. And just in case you're wondering, yes, that means it and you are very much so. All you men out there, Remember to look over yourself and take notice and address any problems you may find, and don't be afraid to get it checked out. Whether you know it's happening or not, it's still happening, so it's better to be safe than sorry. I pray the rest of your day is as wonderful as you are. I pray 2022 is a year full of blessings and guidance for us all. I wish you all the happiest of New Year. This is the Shatter and Breathe Podcast. I am Sean, and until next time, be safe, be thankful of all things. And may God continue to bless each and every one of us.